you have yet allowed us to gather around thy word. Dear Lord, we gather as sinners. We gather as ones who are not strong in ourselves, who are not righteous. We gather as children, thy children. We ask, Heavenly Father, that yet your word could be broken so small to each and every one of our hearts that we might yet be fed. We ask, dear Lord, that you would be with us, that you would protect us from that threefold enemy, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, that we might not lose sight of that great crown of life that awaits us at the end of this journey. We ask, Lord, that by thy word you would search our hearts. If you would find anything in our hearts that is not pleasing unto you, reveal it to our hearts, Lord. Give us strength to repent of it, Lord. Give us strength to put it away and to believe it forgiven in Jesus' precious name and atoning blood. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to be with us, that you would yet bless us. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our brother as he brings forth thy word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. God that perhaps no one has spoken on, or at least you have not spoken on for a long time, if at all, that the people would not think that you only have a certain amount of text that you can preach from. But as I was studying the Word of God today, and I turned to a portion of His Word, and I do not know, beloved, what is the will of God concerning it. But it seems that God has not allowed me to move from that place, though I have sincerely tried to search for another portion. But if it's his will that he would open unto us, then I'm sure he is able to fill the mouth of an empty vessel. And if it is not his will... Jesus Christ, <clears throat> again this afternoon as we are gathered before that word which is the only enduring word that has been given under heaven of which Jesus himself said that heaven and earth shall pass away but my word shall never pass away I don't believe we are really as aware of the great blessing that God has bestowed upon us as in reality it is. That we have his eternal word with us. All the opinions and philosophies and theories and 
theologies that have come forth from the corrupt minds of human beings. They are all around us and everywhere, and we are very much tempted to be influenced by them, not only from that which comes from without, from other people, but the very fact that our own reasoning, which has become corrupted through the fall of our first parents, and death has passed on, and corruption has passed on all to, man, to all mankind, it is with us, every one of us, as individuals. We are indeed fortunate, we are greatly blessed that there is one thing in this world that, that we can turn to, and that is God's eternal word. If we did not have that, what would we have? We would have nothing. We would be going to and fro. There would be as many opinions as there are men, and they would be all wrong, every single one of them. We do well that we seriously and in earnest, when we have such a need for this guidance that we turn diligently unto the word because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and God desires to enlighten us in this word so that we could understand it and that we could truly be established on a foundation which will stand even when the floods rise and the rains descend and the winds blow, that house that is built upon this rock, it will stand. Everything else will go down. So we do well to spend this short moment here as we are gathered even this afternoon to look into this word that what does God's word teach us? so that we would always be led to that only secure place that has been laid down here upon this earth for us to build our house upon. The thought came to me here a little before the service when, as it always seems to be, such a big question that what can I, what is there that I could possibly preach upon? And oftentimes the devil, the enemy of the soul, will come and give suggestions. And he likes to suggest that, well, you should have something a little different. That you should have something a little more spectacular something that they've never heard before, something that would really make you stand out as being some exceptional preacher. The devil has a thousand and one tricks that he wants to peddle uh, to us, uh, so, uh, which we don't oftentimes even dare to consider ourselves to be preachers, but he wants to, he wants to offer these suggestions. The thought came to me 
that Brother Ralph Davidson related not too long ago as he was in our Mid-Southwest. He said he was called up into the to Upper Michigan there one of the first times after he had started preaching to preach over there. I believe it was he had been called to the Lorian congregation. And he was asked to come to a certain house there First of all, when he comes to Lorium, it is the house of an elder Christian brother. And Ralph had begun to relate his feelings, and he had expressed that, well, I don't know, I feel so inadequate coming here where there are so a lot of these old Christians and, and, uh, I don't know what I could preach here. And this elder Christian, in the wisdom that many of these old elders who had weathered many a storm, he answered and told Ralph that, listen, young brother, you won't be able to preach anything here that hasn't been preached before. And we hope and pray that you won't. If you preach something different and something new, we're going to be very disappointed in you. But if you will preach that same old gospel that has been preached so many, many times here before, we are going to be satisfied. We won't say anything. And this is the way it truly is. I don't feel that I have and I don't wish to have anything new or anything different. But if God would help me so that I could still be able to preach some of that same old gospel that has made people to be new creatures in the past, has brought about a new creature in Christ in the past. God would give me that ability that I could bring forth his word so that it could alone do that which it has been sent for, then I also would be thankful unto God that I have not come and disrupted anything that is in God's plan. And this is so oftentimes the way it is that we do not realize that the more we can preach of that same old thing, the better off everything is. We don't ever have to think that it's going to get old, that it's going to get worn out, or that it's going to get stale. It is still that same powerful gospel which is able to create men anew. And above all, it is able to bring eternal life and salvation to the undying soul. Jesus, when he gave his command as far as the preaching of the gospel is concerned, he did not make it a very long list of, of uh, or he did not make a very complicated uh, order of it. 
It was quite simple. He sent his own, didn't make any difference where they would go in this world. It was the same gospel every place. And when we go from one community to another, it doesn't have to change one bit. It can be the same thing every place because it's a very short and simple message. Preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. Well, man would often want to add something more to that. Make it a little bit more interesting to the carnal portion of the man. Make it a little more flower or perhaps even a little more fiery so that it would uh, kind of get the emotions of the human being alerted or something. We could scare people to death and it wouldn't make Christians out of them. There has to be a process that takes place which is the creation of a new creature. And that creature is not created with any kind of scare tactics. There has to be a seed that is sown in order to bring about life. The very same way as the natural seed that we are also familiar with. We perhaps may even make the mistake of beginning to look for some fruit, some fruit of a certain kind of seed even before the seed has ever been planted. If we would see some farmer go out into the field, I'm a farmer myself and I think uh, most everybody can appreciate that the fact that it would be a very, very stupid move if somebody would, be, would go out there and begin to plow and harrow and uh, till the soil and keep on tilling it and would probably be wondering why in the world it doesn't grow. And uh, it wouldn't have to be a very smart farmer that could come along and tell him why the, what the reason is why it doesn't bear fruit. The reason there is because you haven't put the seed in there at all in the ground. You can't expect anything to germinate out of there no matter how much you till and plow it unless you put some seed in there. Well, this seed is that word that God has given unto us. Jesus showed it very clearly in the parable of the sower, that when the sower went forth to sow. And uh, the seed, it is a living seed, the word of God. It has this germ, if we would call it that, that when it finds the proper moisture conditions, proper climate, proper soil, it will germinate. Now you can take any other word, you can take the most beautiful philosophies of men, the most reasonable analysis and, and calculations and theories of men. They are dead seed. There is absolutely no life in them. They will not produce a new creation. But the word is such. And 
the amazing thing about it is that it is, there is such an unlimited supply of it. It can be shown any place. And uh, we don't have to be responsible, according to the Lord of the seed. It doesn't seem that he is so, uh, uh, so uh, careful about that or concerned about that, that if we might waste a little seed. He did that himself. He had the sower go forth and to sow, and, and a lot of it went to waste. Some of it fell on the stony ground, and some by the wayside, and some even found some ground where it, the blade came up a little bit, but it dried up and withered. But the fact is that wherever this seed finds that good ground, it will germinate and it will bring forth a, lead, a blade and it will bring forth the plant and it will bear fruit it will be like unto the seed that was sown this is something this is an amazing thing about that the this word that we have here this very afternoon it is a living word if that good ground is found where it can fall into, we can be sure that it will produce, it will produce life. Even though it may seem sometimes that it is very dead, we can take the seed that we have, the natural seed, we can take a kernel of wheat and we can look at it and we can examine it and and uh, as far as we are able to determine by looking at it and feeling it and everything, uh, we cannot understand how there could be life in it. And the fact that regardless of how old it is, it still retains that life in it. There have been some, some wheat, uh, I've uh, I read somewhere some time ago, they discovered some some wheat in some of the pyramids of Egypt and they determined that they must be about somewhere around 5,000 years old. Now this wheat was preserved there, it had been kept dry and, and it appeared to be in good shape and as far as I uh, recall they sent, they, they distributed this seed to the different universities throughout the world to uh, see what experiments they could do with it and uh, uh, I understand that some of it even sprouted yet. That tells us that that life was still in that even though it had been sitting there for 5,000 years. Now the word of God uh, is a seed and when it is sown into the proper ground the proper moisture conditions and the proper uh, 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 it will sprout and it will bring forth uh, the fruit that God's word can bring. Now this is why it is, uh, it is so important for us to remember that we as human beings <coughs> we may even have great desires that someone would uh, someone would be converted that they would become Christians and we may 
we may make the mistake of trying to speed the process up somehow. We may perhaps even attempt to uh, use our emotional powers or whatever to bring about some kind of an emotional uh, uh, disturbance or something, then maybe that would do it. But the thing is that we as human beings, regardless of what we may try to do, we cannot produce life. And the great mistake we can possibly do is we might try to speed up something and make some kind of a facsimile of a Christian. Perhaps we can get them to submit themselves to some, uh, some doctrinal uh, um, a ritual or something and then proclaim them that they are now Christians. And perhaps we can get them to conform to our customs, the ways of what we have come to know as the living uh, church or the living Christianity. We can even get them to conform to every type of uh, uh, we might say the, uh, that which we think uh, a Christian should be. We can get them to shun all these evil practices and all the vanity of this world and whatever it may be. And it can still be a, just a, you might say, a robot that has no life, but it will go through the motions and even the words and everything else that would uh, indicate that, well, that must be a Christian. But when God's word does its work, this seed is sown in that good ground and it will bring that forth, even if we wouldn't be doing, making any kind of a display of emotion or effort on our part other than sowing this seed. This is how it is even in the natural sense we put that seed we put that seed in the ground and it is entirely up to God. There is not one thing that we can do about it but just to wait, hoping and praying that God would give the proper moisture, proper sunlight and everything and that then we can be assured. We can rest assured that that sprout is going to come up pretty soon and when God blesses it with good weather, everything, it is going to grow up to be a mature plant and it will bring forth seed many hundredfold. So we have this word with us and if we, in this faith, this type of a faith, put it forth, we don't have to worry about it if it finds the proper soil. God's word will take care of all things. Now the Apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthians, I will read a portion from the first epistle in the third chapter, in which he mentions something about this also. I will begin reading from the sixth verse through the thirteenth. In Jesus' name, truly, with that prayer that God would permit us to understand this portion of his word for our own benefit and for his glory. 
I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then there is he that planteth, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Amen. So Paul mentions here that I have planted. In other words, he had proclaimed the gospel. He had spread that seed of the word of God. Apollos had watered, but God gave the increase. Neither he or Apollos had been able to bring about this increase. It had to be left in God's hands. It is God who gave the increase because it was his word that had been planted. So then the Apostle wants to point out here then that this isn't something that we can take credit for. Even though he had sown this word, as he mentions, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gave the increase. It is something that man cannot take credit in no way. Uh, can he do that because if he had not had God's word if he would not have the seed to sow no matter how much he would have attempted, attempted to plant something of his own it would have been to no avail he could have probably as the Pharisees did he could have gotten some following according to his own uh, word his own doctrine according to the as the Pharisees of which Jesus, uh, Jesus reproved them that they made disciples unto themselves and uh, they, they drew them into, into their, uh, you might say, into their, uh, to be subjects unto them after a certain uh, fear of men seemed that there were a lot of them that were afraid of what the Pharisees would say.
Some of them, there were people that even believed on the Lord Jesus but were afraid to confess him because they feared the people. They, uh, Jesus reproved these Pharisees of this, uh, saying that ye compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he is made, he is twofold more the child of hell than ye yourselves. It seems that Jesus uh, did not spare the flesh of anyone, and he doesn't spare it even yet. And uh, our, in today's society, it almost seems that, uh, that uh, we are immediately as if uh, labeled uh, out of turn if we would point out what really the, the evils that the enemy of the soul has placed in the hearts of men. Jesus could uh, stand up to these these self-righteous Pharisees in his day and tell them that ye are of your father the devil. Now, if the word points out to us these things, it is so, and we cannot change it. But here this apostle, as he mentions, it is God who gives the increase. Oftentimes it seems that we as human beings, we, we are very much drawn into thinking that, well, it is the preacher that is so all-important, that we just have the right kind of a preacher, then things would happen. Things would go the way I want them to happen if we'd have just the right kind of a preacher. And that is already the great danger that there is uh, a certain trust and certain amount of faith placed in an individual preacher and the word of God is as if left somewhat to the side. The apostle saw this situation quite well that it, this had taken place in Corinth. And then he says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Now they are together. If it is the same spirit and the same doctrine, they are co-workers with God. They are not pulling in different directions. They are not pulling apart, but they are gathering and they are pulling in the same direction. It doesn't make any difference than if it is a greater gift or a smaller gift. They are all, if they are the same Spirit of God, they are all good gifts. God does not give any poor gifts at all. And he hasn't left one single child that he has begotten into his kingdom without a gift. Perhaps there's already somebody thinking that, well, I'm that one that I sure can't see that he has given any gift for me. He has given you the greatest gift of all the gifts that he gives. The Apostle Paul speaks in the 13th, or in the uh, 12th chapter towards the end of these various gifts. And he speaks, he names several of them 
which include uh, preaching and interpreting and uh, gifts of healing and one thing another. But then he says, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. There is one gift that is far more excellent than any ability to perhaps speak or whatever other it may be in that way. That is that gift of God's eternal love that has been shed abroad in the hearts of every single child of God who has been begotten according to the will of God and who has remained and continued walking after the Spirit. That love has been preserved there and that greatest of all gifts which is so great that all the prophecies will cease, all knowledge shall vanish, and all that which we might have here now, it will all vanish. But that greatest of all gifts, the heavenly fire of God's love, which has not been produced by human beings, but which has come down from heaven, the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, the love of God shed abroad in the heart through the Holy Spirit. That gift is there. That gift God has given to every single one of his children. And if we are led and motivated by the Spirit of God, it will always use this greatest of all gifts. It perhaps isn't going to make a big display of it. It is not going to start boasting about itself. It is not going to present itself as someone important in God's kingdom, but it presents itself in a lowly and meek way, and it will seek always for the best of the other. It is not going to rejoice in iniquity. It's not going to start covering up for anybody for himself any more than anyone else. That love is such that it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And this greatest of all gifts, it is so precious that God has let it come down from heaven into our hearts, and it's not going to get left here, but it's going to go with us when every other gift has vanished. Everything else has come to an end. It is going to go back to heaven with us. And there it will be comprehended in all its fullness. Here we see dimly as through a glass, but then we shall see face to face. We shall see him who is true love. And as the Apostle John has written, for God is love. We will see him as he is. God's kingdom has always been motivated by this power. There are a lot of other kingdoms that have been motivated, motivated supposedly by religious zeal. But God's true kingdom has always been motivated by that power of God's love. It has made use of whatever other gifts there has, have been also, but the motivation when it has been right, it has been by this power. 
God's kingdom was established here upon this earth because that power moved the heart of the Heavenly Father. Jesus told us about this when he said that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. It is God's love that moved his heart to, towards us, towards this world, in that way that he sent his only begotten Son to do this great work of reconciliation, the great work of redemption. And then we have become partakers in a small way, even though in this corrupt tabernacle of clay, yet that power that God brought down upon this earth, it has moved in his kingdom. It has moved it to this very day through every storm and every opposition that the enemy of the soul has been able to raise up against it. And it is an amazing kingdom that it just keeps on going. It keeps on going even though it is torn and, and uh, pulled at and from every side. Not only from the outside, but from the very inside. Jesus spoke his, in these parables so that we could understand, so that we wouldn't become too alarmed if we re notice that there is some force that is trying to tear the kingdom of God apart here, that it is trying to destroy it. If we again turn to the word, that only source that gives us all the answers to all these problems, we can take great comfort in the fact that, well, the more we see it this way, the more scriptural it is. The closer it brings it to us. Jesus spoke the parable of the Good Shepherd. And he said that, verily, verily, I say unto you. He wanted to point this out so, so uh, verily that he used this word twice, that we would recognize this and take note, that it is so, it is amen. It cannot be changed and there's no other way, and it shall always be so. He spoke in this way that verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth in some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. It tells us one thing here. Perhaps we don't, wouldn't like to think of it that way. We would like to see it different. But the fact is here, so when Jesus has said it, we don't have to be so too alarmed and surprised. But according to this word of Jesus, the sheepfold here upon this earth 
it is always going to have those in there also who have not come in through the door but have climbed in some other way. And they are in the visible church in this world. This is not that invisible kingdom that Jesus is speaking about because into that invisible kingdom of God no thieves or robbers will ever be able to enter. But into this which Jesus calls the sheepfold it is possible to enter in some other way also. And it's an amazing thing that there are always, there is always someone attempting to do this, and they are succeeding, because Jesus says that they will climb up some other way who will not come in through the door. And what happens then? But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. It's an amazing thing. He says that he is the door himself and then says that he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This heavenly language, the word of God, it can be so confusing to the human mind. It, uh, it just doesn't seem to make sense. But it is such a beautiful picture in the light of the Spirit of God because whoever enters in through the door, Jesus, to him the porter opens and he automatically becomes as the shepherd of the sheep also. Peter writes of this in his epistle that we are a royal priesthood. Every single one who has come in through this door to whom the porter has opened, that is, the Holy Spirit of God has opened, they automatically and instantly they are shepherds of the sheep because God uses the mouths of his own children here to proclaim this same message. He doesn't proclaim it from heaven. This is the only way his word is spoken here is, through the mouths of his own children, but the difference is that it is through the power, the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. And they become the royal priesthood, and they are only and just those who have come in through the door. No matter how someone would try to have the porter open, who has not come in through the door, no matter how many lessons we would give them, that how we are being taught by the Holy Spirit of God, no matter how many lessons we would give to them, that what is the office of the Holy Spirit, no matter how, how well we could get them to recite our creed, where we say that I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, they will not understand it because the porter does not open to anyone else but those who come in through the door, into the sheepfold. And to those who have come in through the door, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, his redemptive work according to his doctrine, we don't have to give them very many lessons about the Holy Spirit. We don't have to tell them that know the Lord because the time has come in their lives that they shall all know the Lord from the least unto the greatest.
and it seems that we don't have much trouble getting along with each other. It seems that we uh, we don't have to spend more than maybe a few minutes or even a few seconds with one another. It doesn't make any difference what society we come from. Could be from the other side of the world, as so many oftentimes happens. We have somebody from Finland or Sweden or Norway or someplace come over and we hear them maybe for about five minutes and our hearts are already moved because we recognize that he is one of us. It is the, the Spirit answers immediately that, well, that is the way the Spirit of God has revealed this to me also. And we, perhaps as far as our, our domestic uh, occupation, our culture, our uh, upbringing, whatever it may be, may be as um, different as days from night. We probably, if we started talking about some of the material things of this world, we'd probably get into a fierce argument and disagreement because we have such different viewpoints on things of this life. But this uh, spiritual picture, it has been taught from heaven for us. And God doesn't teach people in one part of the world one way and in another part of the world a different way. God's kingdom is the same every place. The apostle then continues for, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. He's speaking of this reward. It isn't something that he means that we're going to earn. It is, it is not something that we are able to uh, manufacture in any way. But he speaks of that labor to which we have been committed because the love of Christ constraineth us. As the same apostle writes, we are debtors not to the flesh, but we are debtors in this way that we always are in that end of the ledger that we owe God so much. He never owes us a single thing, but we are always owing him. And we don't ever have to think that we're going to be able to pay him back in full. The only thing we can do is we can express our gratitude and hope that he will carry this debt of love that we owe to him, that he will continue to carry it even unto the end. And so, with this that God has supplied us with, that greatest of all gifts, the love that uh, he has shed abroad in our hearts, in our own little way, and as in our own little, you might say, corner of this kingdom, uh, we can put that little light on a candlestick. We are not to put it under a bushel, even if it would seem like it is pretty small sometimes. And heaven help us if we begin to think that we are quite a big light. We have absolutely no light regardless of what we might be if God does not blow on that wick with his Holy Spirit so that it would begin to shine in the darkness. The apostle 
and says that for we are laborers together with God doesn't mean that we are the ones that work for God but it is rather what it, uh, we are the ones that God uses in his work and he oftentimes uses us in a different way than we would like to think that we are able to understand ourselves we might uh, perhaps sometimes think that well if I could speak like that other brother does or we could somehow have uh, some some greater abilities why then then things would really get going the one thing that God wants us to understand that he has made us exactly as we are and we are not to try to change it certainly we would always every one of us uh, like to have such a spectacular delivery and be able to bring forth the word so that the whole world would be set on fire and everybody would just sit on the edge of their seats and, and so on but God's kingdom doesn't work that way God has made us exactly as we are and that seed nevertheless it still has that same life it doesn't become any better regardless of who is sowing it as long as uh, it is the pure wholesome seed we find some amazing things in the Bible God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise so often times and that which has been greatly esteemed among men it is an abomination in the sight of God God chose Moses to lead his people out of the bondage of Egypt and through the Red Sea the poor man couldn't even talk to the people himself we might think that well what kind of a what kind of a man did God choose for that couldn't he have given Moses such a gift of delivery and a commanding voice that when he'd get up everybody would be alerted immediately and just like a like an uh, like an army sergeant or something but this poor Moses uh, he stuttered and he had to complain himself that I am slow of speech and he had to have his brother Aaron uh, do the talking then to the people because he couldn't bring the message through this is how God's kingdom oftentimes is here and man would so like to take hold of it and start improving things and begin to uh, do things according to his will but God's kingdom nevertheless it continues and it will go as long as God has determined that it will and it goes because it has been founded upon a rock it hasn't been founded upon human strength or human ability but it has been founded upon that rock that God himself has laid God has prepared that rock and he has given it for us here that is to place it in its place and the, this is what the apostle refers to here as he says according to the grace of God which is given unto me he is 
He wants to make very sure that now this is not something that I have been able to do. That is, that I have been able to do because of the strength that I, or the wisdom that I in my natural corrupt human being would have. He wants to make sure that it is understood by these Corinthians that it is according to the grace of God. It is grace because he himself saw himself as the chief of sinners. And as he looked upon himself and as he uh, relates about it in uh, in his epistle to the Romans, he says that in me, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He wasn't trying to pretend that, well, there's a little good in all people. There's a little good in me too. But he said that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. The flesh has become totally and completely corrupted. It has been depraved of this holiness. So that's why he wants to point out that it is according to the grace of God. For me, a great sinner whom God has been merciful unto, he has given, which he has given unto me. It was something he had not earned, but God gave it out of his pure grace. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Yeah, he used that which God had given to him, and he laid this foundation. And he says that another, I have laid the foundation, that is when he proclaimed the gospel and laid the redemptive work of Christ as the only reason, the only foundation from which any man can be justified in the sight of God and can be saved. And then he says that another buildeth thereon. There are others building upon that foundation where people have believed upon. But then he says, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. It is quite important that we, as human beings, take heed how we build upon that foundation, whether it is in ourselves or attempting to build with other people. Because we can make serious mistakes. We need, we need the guidance from heaven, the enlightenment of the Spirit of God in this process of building. And what is this building then? Is it something that we're going to little by little become full-fledged Christians or what is it? Do we become Christians piecemeal, a little at first, some kind of a first perhaps a foundation and then begin to make a a full Christian out of it. This is not what the Apostle Paul was referring to at all. He knew himself that in the twinkling of an eye, the very instant a person believes in the redemptive work of Christ, in the forgiveness of his sins, believes in the merit of Christ, he receives a complete righteousness. He is made completely whole. It is not something as this world often tries to introduce that little by little we grow up to be Christians somehow or another, a piecemeal process. 
we are ju- when we are justified by faith, we don't build on that old Adam and begin to improve that and try to sanctify it. But we throw that idea away and by faith we lay hold of the righteousness from heaven, the complete righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We lay hold of that by faith and we receive it and the Spirit of God testifies in our with our spirits that we are God's children. The grace of God is shed abroad in our hearts and the love of God and we are instructed into all truth and then we can see something. We can see something we could not see before because we have been born into a spiritual kingdom which is unseen, which does not come with observation, as Jesus said. And as he told Nicodemus that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The spiritual eyes are open. They were open to this apostle Paul. He was in this in this miserable darkness when he was when he was a Pharisee and when he was that great big religious man who was upholding the law with great zeal and he when God had to empty him out and bring him to the dust of the earth and lead him as a and had him led as a blind man to Damascus uh, where this word then was proclaimed unto him it was not uh, not a great dramatic uh, uh, happening. It was a very lowly ritual, if you'd call it that. Ananias, a a, uh, disciple, possibly one of the very ones that he would have laid hold of if God had not stopped him, was sent to him and proclaimed a simple message, not a, a long sermon, but just a short, simple message and uh, where there was a heart where there was that good ground that God had prepared it was ready to receive the seed and it bore fruit and uh, this foundation was laid this foundation was laid and Paul experienced it himself and then he said for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ I'm sure that we can understand that very well and I don't believe that there is any controversy over this uh, at least in amongst the midst of the children of God but we do find it very close and possibly as we were led to touch upon it even this morning that we can even come out as the ones on the last judgment day who claim to have been so close to Jesus all the time that they they began to question the matter already that how how is it that have we not prophesied in thy name have we not done many wonderful works in thy name And have we not even cast out devils through thy name? It seems that this name of Jesus is very close with these people 
and uh, we certainly in this world nobody would hardly uh, think of telling them that these people that are doing all these things in the name of Jesus that they're not unbelievers these people are unbelievers becomes this that have we not prophesied have we not done many wonderful works it's this we that is the center focal point of the message there it seems that the redemptive work of Christ what Christ has done has been completely forgotten no one mentions that have you not done wonderful works for us have you not redeemed us? It seems that that has been forgotten altogether. It is God's work that that uh, matters, and uh, it is His. It is to His glory. But there is no glory when we or I are the ones that uh, have to have the uh, center of attention. But let every man take heed how he build thereupon. This is what the apostle wants to drive at. Now he takes an illustration. He presents as a parable or a picture for the Corinthians so that they might better understand what he is driving at. And this he does in the light of the Spirit of God. And he begins to say that now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, he chooses these building materials and we can readily notice that they fall into two categories. Those which are, are precious, those which can stand fire, Oh, they could possibly melt, but they will not burn. There is the other category, wood, hay, stubble. We know that they, they'll go up in flames very readily. Now, many of you people here are builders, and I think every one of us knows something about building at least that much that we can understand this, this parable that or this illustration that Paul is setting forth here. If we had a building that needed to be built, and we would know that it is in a place where fire can come quite close to it sometimes. It might even touch it. And if we were placed in, in a position that you can choose now, what material do you want to choose now to build this building in that kind of a place where perhaps a flame, a flame might touch it sometime. They would offer us some wood. We'd say no. Some hay. How you foolish. Or some stubble. Well, we just, uh, we think that that's the most ridic ridiculous suggestion anybody could come up with. They got to be kidding or something. But if there was available gold or silver, some precious stones 
we could all understand that. We could understand this terrible, this illustration very readily. I don't think anyone would, couldn't, could help but understand this, that. That's the building material we want to choose. This is what Paul is trying to point out in the spiritual sense. You don't build upon this foundation with that which, which fire is going to touch and destroy. Therefore, in the spiritual sense, where do we find this choice of building materials? Because every building is going to have to be built in that way that it will withstand the test of, of that that fire of which the writer to the Hebrew says that our God is a consuming fire. There's a fire that's going to try every man's work of what sort it is, and it does not mean the fire of the judgment of the last day, but it is already in this time that this is being tried. <coughs> so when we begin to look around us that where can we find these building materials. We can look around. We possibly might try to find it somewhere, perhaps in the church somehow, perhaps in our own abilities. We might look around and see if we could find, find it in some preacher. We might begin to trust in perhaps some group or some denomination or some sect and uh, we might think that well that looks like might be the thing I think that's what I'm going to choose not realizing at all that we are choosing here we are choosing for our building material wood hay or stubs now if we want to find something better than that we're going to have to look somewhere else than upon perhaps some favorite preacher or something. We're not even going to be able to trust in, in this that, well, we belong to the right congregation or right church. This is, not, this is not the way to do it. We're going to have something much more solid and something that can stand in every test. The Apostle Paul has spoken to the Galatians of, of the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh. He has named these building materials which we can have. They have been supplied for us. They're laying right there ready for us to choose and put to use. That is, if we have come in through the door into the sheepfold and the porter has opened unto us we have received from heaven that of which the apostle writes to the Galatians the fruit of the spirit which is love, joy, peace long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith these are from heaven you are not going to find these from your corrupt flesh and blood. You're not going to find them from the corrupt flesh and blood of your brother or sister either. If you begin to look for perfection, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to find that every one of us, we have corruption. 
we have that weakness which could not be corrected even though God brought forth his holy law from Mount Sinai. It could not produce righteousness. That's why Paul writes to the Romans that the law became weak through the flesh. The law itself was not weak. It was holy and perfect and demanding. But in this way it was weak that it could not produce righteousness from weak flesh. Flesh was not able to produce. We have been made alive through the spirit of Christ Jesus. And through that spirit uh, have been made available unto us the building materials that will withstand the test of fire. That which has come down from heaven and to which we are lent and instructed by the Spirit of God. There is, there is no one that is going to find himself even on a deathbed seeking forgiveness or repenting of what he has done if he has chosen that which God has provided from heaven for building material. Then prompted and motivated by the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul named it. He is not going to have to repent of that on the deathbed, because, as the Apostle says, when he names these fruits of the Spirit, he says that against such there is no law. Even the demanding holy law of God says nothing against these. The reason they are so holy and pure is because they have not proceeded from the corrupt heart of man, but they have come down from heaven. With these building materials, if we use them without attempting to mix something else from our flesh into it, it is always going to be to the glory of God. Even though men will not be praising us, we can be sure that in our own consciences we will not have to be regretting if we have used these building materials in the labors in God's kingdom. The apostle speaks of the wood, hay, and stubble. He could see that there was wood, hay, and stubble being used in Corinth. And he mentions this here in the first part of the chapter. He said that, or he wrote here earlier, earlier that they had, it had been brought to his attention that Every one of you says, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Everyone had his own opinion. It seemed that they had become followers of preachers, and that caused division. And I do believe that throughout the history of Christianity, even during our uh, movement, this visitation of our time amongst the Swedish and Finnish people, we can always see that it has been 
preachers that have passed divisions. And the preachers could not have passed any divisions if the people would not have been, you might say so, ignorant that they would have begun to follow these preachers. Preachers alone couldn't have done anything. They would have been left alone if people wouldn't have started supporting and following. But this is the way it is. And it was already in Corinth that this was the contention. One was saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Stephen. And then there was one saintly one there who said, I am of Christ. Well, that perhaps to him sounded like, well, I am the only right one. I don't follow any of those preachers. I follow Christ. Well, what was wrong with it? Paul didn't seem to think that was was the thing to do. He didn't say that it wasn't right to follow Christ. But he says, he says in the first part of this epistle that that uh, for while I for a while one saith I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? And he says ye are all carnal, every one of you, even the one who is boasting that I am of Christ. Why would he say that? He said that because this this person who was boasting that I am of Christ, I don't want I don't need any of these preachers. He could get along without a preacher. He didn't want to have anybody uh, to be associated with anyone. He rejected all of the servants of Christ by boasting that I am of Christ. Christ is where his people are, where his congregation is. And uh, this is why Paul wants to point out that all this type of boasting, all this type of following, it is all building with wood, hay, and stubble. And there is going to come a day when, when uh, anyone in this kind of activity is going to see that labor, all the labor, all the effort, all this work in putting up this building out of this wood and this hay and this stubble, no matter how great it, he has been able to build it, and no matter how people would look at it and marvel that, my, what a wonderful structure. You've really gotten a lot accomplished here. That is going to go up in smoke. It is, it is not going to stand. There's going to come a day that's going to try it. I can probably take a stand on a lot of things and uh, begin to build on that. And uh, our hearts can be directed against our fellow men to such a point that we will disassociate ourselves with them. The scripture gives to us only one reason why we can disassociate or separate ourselves is when we are literally cast out. Told to get away from here, stay away, don't ever show yourself. That is when we can stay away. But as far as God's people, we, there is no person on the face of this earth that is so evil 
that God would forbid us from preaching this message to them. I've sometimes been asked that would you go and preach to these people over here if they would ask you to come. I have sometimes been told that you shouldn't go if they ask you. That that's wrong for you to go there because they're, well, in their opinion they would say they're heresies. You can't go supporting that heresy over there. The thing about it is that I have had to ask that tell me, where are those people who are so wicked, who are so evil, that we cannot proclaim the gospel to them if they want to hear it? Perhaps they are evil, perhaps they are wicked, but they'll never get any better through any other way but if they can hear the gospel and find themselves the ones that really are in need of mercy and forgiveness when they find themselves as the chief of sinners they'll only find that through the message of God's word and Christ has died it's pretty difficult for us sometimes to find our narrow hearts being able to accept this that Christ has died even for that most wicked one that we might consider in our hearts as being the most evil and wicked one our hearts are a lot narrower than the heart of Jesus was and unless we can be led to that place where we can in the spirit behold the heart of Jesus we will not be able to find ourselves our hearts in that position we don't have that fountain in our own selves we have to turn to that fountain of mercy and grace and goodness in this that we turn to see the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is from there that all strength and power has to flow into our hearts. It doesn't mean that we are to be lulled into that type of thinking that well peace at any price that we just have to just hush things up that we cannot uh, uh, we cannot rock the boat or whatever other term this world might want to suggest to that it does not mean that on the contrary as we find that Stephen the first martyr of the New Testament time when he was being stoned he had a message for those who were accusing him and his message was this that ye stiff necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears ye do as your fathers did ye do likewise do ye ye always resist the Holy Ghost and that cut their hearts that they ran on him with one accord and they began to stone him to death he did not try to cover things up and say that well we don't really have to get riled up here that that let's uh, just kind of get along here that we can make some kind of a compromise he did not uh, take that turn at all but as he was being stoned yet 
it came out that there was no bitterness in the heart of Stephen. Even though he spoke so straightly to these accusers, yet he, when he lifted his eyes and he saw the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father, not sitting as it is, uh, is written that he sat down at the right hand of the Father, but it is recorded that he saw the Son of Man standing. Jesus, the Son of God, stood up in honor of his servant who had faithfully proclaimed his name to the end. And when Stephen saw that, there's where his strength came. He saw that vision and his mouth began to speak as his masters had spoken. He could not, Stephen could not find this in his corrupt flesh and blood any more than you or I could. But when his eyes were fastened on this source of perfect love, perfect forgiveness, he is heart filled with the longing that even his worst enemy could be forgiven. And he prayed that Father count not the sin against them. And he gave up the ghost. There are many ways in which we can build with, with wood, hay, and stubble. There was one instance where one uh, sister in faith, many, many years ago back in North Dakota, she was, we all accepted her as a sister in faith. We didn't question that. She came to our services and... In other words, the foundation had been laid. But the trouble was that how she had built upon this foundation became evident. We believed that she was a child of God and in a saved condition of soul. Just exactly as the scripture points out, that the foundation can be laid but then there is the question but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon if the foundation had not been laid if, the, if they would not have believed in the redemptive work of Christ believing their sins forgiven in the blood of Jesus and trusting that the only righteousness under the sun is that of Christ Jesus any amount of instruction from the word of God would be meaningless. But where people have believed and are accepted as God's children without any question, this is where this applies. And so this is why it has been recorded in the scriptures because there is always this, this uh, danger that we can be so stupid if we look at it truly in the spiritual sense that we can be so stupid that we might begin to think that this wood, hay, and stubble might be just as good building material as the gold, silver, and precious stone and not realizing that it's going to burn up. So this elderly sister, she had the trials in this life that seemed to be 
possibly more than her share. But there was one thing that God saw that there was this wood, hay, and stubble that had to be, she would have to see it burn before her time to depart from this life would come. She had been very zealous in supporting a certain religious split of our Christianity, a certain group. She would go along with us very congenially and in fact sometimes would even rejoice under the hearing of the word. But the, when the crucial question would come up, some particular thing about the kingdom of heaven here on earth, the communion of saints, God's people, the church, she would not be satisfied with the answer that we would come up with, which we believed was founded on the doctrine of Christ, and which we believed. Uh, rather, she wanted to lean towards this, as we find here, the Corinthians, that there was one that trusted its, its Paul. What he says it's going to be, that's the final and last word, and reject the others, even if they would come with the pure, wholesome words of the Lord Jesus. No, I trust this other uh, opinion from this other preacher of this other group that, uh, that I can't trust anything else, really, when it comes to the crucial matters. And I have related it before, but it, it, is, it was an eye-opener to me. And <clears throat> the time came that she was hospitalized to the point where it was questionable whether she would pull through it. And uh, I went and, as I tried to do back there in those days when one of, one of our people was hospitalized or couldn't get to the communion service at the church, I would try to make an effort to go and see if they wanted communion in the hospital or wherever they were. And I went to her and she <coughs> said that, that she, she bemoaned her condition. She bemoaned her condition like I had never heard her bemoan before. That there, why has God permitted this to me? Why this? Why this? And uh, I, with my feeble efforts, tried to bring some consolation from the word for her that, well, this isn't so bad a thing that, that uh, here we have no abiding city, that this is the way it is. We have no abiding city here that we look for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, and that there is a place that God has prepared for us in heaven. It seemed of no avail. It just didn't seem to at all sink into her as if she wouldn't have heard what I was trying to say. And she just bemoaned and bemoaned this man. And I went away from there and I thought, uh, well, that's how much of a preacher I am. I just can't do anything to her. I began to already accuse myself that, well, maybe there's something wrong that I didn't say the right thing I was concerned about. And then uh, I think it was a day or two later, one of the elderly sisters had gone up there and gone to see her and 
then. She had been watching, she had been watching during this time the big black smoke coming up from the wood, hay and stubble pile that she had been putting together for tens of years. And now she was saying that now everything is gone. There is nothing left for me but the redemptive work of Christ and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not even, and he mentioned the name of the favorite preacher that she had been trusting and relying. Not even he can help me now. Everything is gone. There's nothing left but the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessed, what a blessed fire that was to see all that, all that, all that uh, stubble and wood and hay, the effort of a human being trying to build something, something uh, which was absolutely worthless in the sight of God. But look at the loss, the loss of practically a lifetime. It was a loss. All in vain. How easily we can be led into something like this that we, in, our, in the zeal of our flesh, perhaps in our own strong opinions, and uh, just going on and on in our own stubbornness, we can go on and do not take heed of this precious teaching that Jesus has left for us, which will stand here after every one of us have gone. The world stands, and even then it will stand. This is here with us, and it is for us, for our choosing. And if we choose this, then we have the building materials from heaven. We don't have to be moan on our deathbeds that we have been building upon this foundation with the wrong things. And here is the most beautiful part of it, that because, because she also nevertheless had put her trust in, uh, in this, that her soul's salvation, it's just on this foundation that has been laid, uh, God loved her undying soul so much that she gave her the grace to be able to put away that foolish hay and stubble which would not stand when God's consuming fire touched it and it began to burn. And it happened as Paul writes here that every man's work shall be made manifest. It had to be shown shown not only for her but even for the rest of us for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward if nothing else that reward is going to be that which I mentioned that even on our deathbeds we don't have to we don't have to bemoan the fact that even though we ourselves have been able to do nothing for the glory of God, yet those building materials that God gave us that we could lay on that foundation, they're still standing there. They have not crumbled and the fire has not touched them. They will stand. We can be sure, and we have seen it so often times, that that where we have been motivated by God's love, parents or whoever to bring forth that which has been motivated by the love of God 
through the Holy Spirit, it has always done good work. It has never built the wrong kind of a building. So may God continue to provide us and make these building materials available for us at all times and that we would at all times be anxious and eager to use only those. We know that we are tempted very much to use other building materials too because they are so close to us and they are so handy and uh, they are right in our own flesh and blood and the enemy of the soul even comes along and advises us that this stuff is good to build from right here that 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 really works good when we are trying to put something together with our old atoms and, uh, and in our own stubbornness and and all the evil that comes from the venom of the serpent that has been injected into our system from the fall of Adam and Eve. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. It is not the will of God that any man should perish, and he is long-suffering and patient with us, and he gives a time of repentance. He gives us this time, and he, uh, and he uh, does, as we read in the letters to the, to the angels of the churches of Asia, of whom I love, I chasten and rebuke, be zealous therefore and repent. This is what he calls us to whenever there is that type of a situation, but he does it in his love if he chastens us and calls us to repentance. Not to take on a new righteousness, not to reject that which, uh, which has been laid as the foundation, but to put away that which is wood, hay, and stubble, which somehow has become a part of our effort in this process of building on top of this foundation. May God grant to us the enlightenment of his Holy Spirit that we could always recognize this very clearly, that we always need everything from heaven to be able to put up something that would be for the glory of God and in which we ourselves would have no reason to try to glory in. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Is to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.